Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Chris Eccles, who's the CEO at ChargePoint Technology. Chris and I actually have known each other for quite a few years. Uh, he is a great guy who's built a fantastic business. Uh, very recently, actually, the company was acquired by Arcline Investment Management, and uh, hence it's been pretty tricky to get Chris pinned down to be a guest on the show. So I was delighted to actually finally get him on. Chris talks about his journey uh, with his team as from a management buyout many years ago uh, to building a twenty million pound plus business, a global company with 100 people, uh, which is an incredible journey from, from where they, they started. He also goes into a, a bit of detail around the company's technology and how that's helping uh, CDMOs and pharma companies in terms of avoiding cross-contamination and preventing uh, kind of expensive downtime within the clean room environment. ChargePoint's business continues to grow very quickly, and, and Chris talks about uh, kind of perfect storm of market factors, which is definitely worth listening out for and what types of trends are driving uh, you know, the growth in their business, but also other areas of the market. He also talks about the kind of shift in single use technology and how sustainability and use of plastics is going to become a bigger issue over the next few years. And one thing I found really interesting is um, Chris went into quite a lot of detail talking about the process of acquisition by our client and what that was like and how many buyers were in the running for their business. And it was a really, really interesting anecdote into an M&A process uh, in the contract services space, which is uh, which we don't always get uh, that kind of level of insight and honesty. So please listen out for that. For background, you know, Chris has managed the expansion of charge points for, uh, for 12 years now across Europe, North America and the Far East. His background is actually in uh, engineering, uh, in manufacturing, and he's been very instrumental in kind of determining the strategy uh, to insource manufacturing through strategic acquisitions and equipment investments, including the investment of including technology and disposable manufacturing processes. Uh, as the CEO of ChargePoint, you know, he's developed a very strong culture in that business, focusing on honesty, integrity, and quality, which is ultimately reflected in you know, customer satisfaction, employee retention, and the ongoing success of the business. Those values are very clearly articulated by Chris in today's interview. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all your kind feedback and uh, in the ratings that you've left on the app stores. And if you get a chance today and you haven't done so already, please leave us a, a positive rating and maybe send this link to a colleague or an industry contact and say, hey, listen to Molecule to Market and it will change your life. Hopefully we've changed your life for the better, but whatever happens, enjoy today's show. We are supported by ZymeWire, which is the leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from ZymeWire. And our friends at ZymeWire are giving Molecule to Market listeners an exclusive deal. Just head to zymewire.com forward slash Molecule to Market to learn more. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Roman. Nice to meet you again. 
Yeah, you too. Good to good to catch up with you because you are a, a very very busy man and not the easiest <laughs> fella to get a hold of. So, Chris, just to just to start off with, it'd be great to get uh, give our listener a bit of an overview of you and uh, you know your journey in the sector from university to where you are today, and then you know tell us a little bit more about ChargePoint as well. Yeah, so uh, by background, I'm a mechanical engineer. I uh, did a degree in manufacturing and management at Bath University. So I started off thinking I wanted to go into the car industry. I spent a little bit of time uh, there working out in Detroit in the late 90s and uh, quickly realized that it wasn't a space that was sort of going to be sustainable in the future and uh, and stepped back out and and took sort of a a change in my degree path and uh, focus on management and and engineering at the same time. Um, That took me actually back into automotive. um, And from there, I stepped into a company called Powder Systems Limited who were looking to improve their manufacturing processes. And unbeknown to me, uh, their investor had actually um, headhunted me in to try and create a return for an investment that they'd had in a business for a very long time. Um, so at that point, I was responsible for ChargePoint as a business unit. There was six of us in total at the time. And I was also responsible for um, overseeing the assembly operations on PSL's bespoke containment equipment that was back in 2006 and sort of two years in I found out that the the charge point business was being put on the market being sold I with the rest of the team presented that to to different trade parties um, and at the time it was sort of getting close to that subprime uh, crash hitting so trade came in subprime hit trade walked away and the sort of the small team there's feeling a bit unloved and and actually decided that we were going to go and um, invest ourselves and take it forward. So we we rattled our our, our pockets, found a bit of change, <laughs> went went back into uh, it was the co-op bank at the time. Uh, they lent us a million pounds and put all that together and managed to structure a deal to to, to secure a management buyout of, of ChargePoint from Powder Systems. Um, and there was I think when we did it, there was seven of us. We we then moved into our own facility. And then over over sort of the, the course of the next few years, um, you know, changed the sort of the, the structure of the business in terms of the investment profile um, with, with various different investors. And each time we did an investment, you know, we, we grew in, in, in size and, and in size of investor and sort of space that the investor played in. So it was sort of small scale in the early days up to up to where we are today with Arcline. Um, and, you know, in terms of the business itself, we essentially protect people and the environment. And our solutions are designed to allow the safe handling of highly potent and sterile compounds in, in pharma and biopharma manufacturing processes. So we link our technology to containers and move powder products in and out of different manufacturing processes. Very good. And I wanted to rewind back to 2009 and the management buyout in the seven of you involved. Talk uh, just because I'm curious more than anything, Chris, talk us through how exciting, how stressful, what that period was like, and and also how did you decide who would get what role in the business once you did the management buyer? I'm always curious to know how that kind of comes about. I think starting with the roles, that was that was an easy one because um, I was overseeing the business unit and um, all of the operational side of it, everything sort of apart from the sales. So as we structured it through in the early days, we had myself as MD and uh, our sales 
well, the, the sales manager at the time took over the role of sales director. And we had a, a chairman that, that, that had been sort of part of the, the, the journey all the way through that sat alongside us. So it was a small team. And then we had the others in the team that were essentially technical people, engineers um, and different people in the team that ended up sort of moving on through and taking more senior roles um, in the organization. Yeah, in terms of the sort of the time and how it all happened, it was a bit of a strange one because obviously when the, the trade people walked away, I then started going around um, private equity houses trying to raise uh, cash. And I, I was in the loft room of, a, of an investor in Manchester. And I never forget it because I just assumed like investors would give you money and you didn't have to do anything yourself. So I stopped in this loft room and uh, I never forget the day this guy turned around to me and said, uh, so son, uh, how much are you putting in? And that was the light bulb moment because I walked out and going, right, okay. He's basically just told me he isn't investing in me because I'm not investing in myself. Um, and that's when you know the light bulb, as I say, went off and the management team went away. And I think between all of us, we managed to raise a quarter of a million. Um, and, and yeah, and then it was sort of a, a bit of a journey really through then in, in terms of sort of structuring it through. And that started sort of back in November 2008. And uh, we actually completed the deal. Um, on the day I got married and I got a text message while I was stood waiting for my wife and basically gave the thumbs up back to all the other guys in the back of the church. What a memorable day. Yeah. <laughs> bit, bit of a roller coaster. So yeah, I was very drunk on that night. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And then give, give our listeners a sense of scale, you know, how, how big in terms of people were you back then? And, and what does that look like versus today? So, People, I want people to just get a feel for the growth of the business. So, yeah, so back then, um, we were, as I said, there were seven of us. That that was, um, you know, pretty much the, the total number in the team, uh, you know, including all the people assembling the valves and testing the product. Um, at the time, it's a long time ago, but I think we were probably turning over about 450,000, half a million. So that was back in um, sort of 2008. And then... This last year, or we'll finish this year, we'll we'll be just shy of 19 million revenue. Um, we've got probably 104 people now, um, and 25% of those we've taken on in the last 12 months just to support the growth that we're seeing. Um, we've taken on a number of key people, you know, through that journey to support the the growth and to help us structure the business. And you know, we've gone from essentially working out of a, a sort of small area in, in powder systems with a couple of benches to um, a facility, current facility that's 20,000 square foot, set up our own manufacturing operations. So, you know, invested in machine tools and and, and different equipment along the way. Amazing. Well, well, basically, congratulations on on the success. And, you know, as a, someone that started my own business, I think it's an incredible achievement to take. Uh, to roll the dice, you know, back then, and and you know, to go for the management buyout, and you know, invest yourselves, and and fair play for investing in yourself, because you know, 10, 12 years on, uh, to be employing a hundred staff in the UK and the US is a phenomenal uh, achievement, and yeah, well, you know, congratulations on that, and your, you know, you talked again about the demand that you're seeing, and and obviously about the area of the market that your technology kind of plugs into, if you like, and. Uh, keeping operators safe and keeping product safe. What what is it that's driving the growth of your business? Is it, I presume, 
more steriles, you know, more high potent products in the market. Um, that those types of factors is that is that kind of part of the growth? Are there other factors that are uh, leading to you guys on this this phenomenal growth curve? Yeah, I think you know you're seeing growth in in demand of products just just because things are getting more potent. You know, people are um, looking for greater yield on on expensive products and preventing also cross contamination. So. You know, some multi-product facilities, you know, our, our technology allows them to change over much much more quickly and more easily um, and, and prevent cross-contamination. So there's the advantages in that respect. And then there's the, the market conditions that, that, that you see. Um, so things have become more potent. Sterile transfers, you know, are, are increasingly uh, part and parcel of, of what's going on in the industry. And you're also seeing... You know, the COVID effect, without doubt, has, has maybe, I don't know, woken up the pharma world to, to realising that, you know, stocks haven't been in the right place. We've been over-reliant on, on certain geographies for, for manufacturing. So you're seeing things like nearshoring and even onshoring, you know, to, to some degree. Um, so there's a there's a bit of an eclectic mix of different things going on that's, that's driving the industry, but driving our specific product line requirements within, within end users. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really fascinating. Some kind of key trends there that are, you know, kind of a bit of a perfect storm for a business like like yours. And can you 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 mentioned there like uh, you know I suppose the prevention of cross contamination within a facility. Can you give uh, obviously without naming a specific client or anything like that an example of where you guys have uh, a company has implemented the use of your technology and products and what the kind of before and after looks like and the reason i ask is i just want to get make sure that our listener have a real feel for where you guys fit in and also what the impact is on on some of the organizations that you're you're working with actually look like in you know in, in reality at, at a granular level yeah so if you take the um our safety safe range so designed for the sterile uh, market so we've, we've got um a few clients common theme you know historically um they've been having to maintain sterility within uh, facilities so they will you know have to go all through the sort of all the sterile requirements in, in relation to operators and then you know in relation to sort of manufacturing space they will be cleaning validating swabbing and you know growing uh, and culturing uh, samples and swabs just to prove sterility in the facility and, and and that's because you're moving the product around in a in a certain grade of environment that obviously the, the product uh, isn't suitable for um the, the AseptiSafe range allows you to um, make a, a transfer of a product, which would you know previously have been in a in an open environment, in a closed environment. We can decontaminate the the interfaces pretty quickly, so it's a matter of minutes rather than you know hours or, or in some cases days, as uh, with, with sort of you know traditional methods of, of processing these products. So you see a massive advantages in terms of um, validation and validation validating sterility. Um, as well as the time taken, and, and you know the time taken for cleaning and and and, and then validating larger uh, rooms. So, yeah, a number of clients have sort of moved from, you know, being reliant on on large pieces of equipment, large rooms to to containing things with our valves, moving the sterile boundary, sterilizing and decontaminating, pretty much at source, you know, with repeatable results, 
and that opens up capacity and and, and you know flexibility in terms of what they're doing with the with the product and the process. It's funny, you know, literally as you said the word flexibility, I'd written the word flexibility down because it's um particularly I think in the contract manufacturing space, that idea of flexibility is within facilities and being able to avoid downtime and you know make best use of the clean room space is is so so important. So I imagine your technology has been a godsend to those types of customers in, in that kind of market as well, presumably as kind of, I'm guessing your main clients are, uh, you know, a mix of contract manufacturing type companies, but also direct to uh, kind of more traditional drug manufacturing companies, farms, big pharmaceutical companies. Is that a fair kind of assessment of who you typically work with or there are there other pockets of the market that you guys uh, support? No, it probably is a fair assessment. You know, we, we deal with, with, the range, like you say, from you know, from the, the sort of the top ten globally to, to all of the sort of the, the smaller um, contract manufacturers that ultimately are sat in that supply chain. So it's quite diverse. And you quite often find that you know when you're talking and working on projects, it comes around full circle because actually the end clients, i.e., one of the top ten global um, organisations will be in on the conversation because the contractor is working on their behalf and, and they want to make sure that, you know, they've got a process that, that's going to work ultimately. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. No project's ever the same, just despite, um, you know, many, many sort of similarities between between what people are, are, are processing. And I think as well, as us as mechanical engineers and obviously, you know, you've got your chemical engineers and, and, and other people working on other things. I think people like to to sort of play around with things and try and make things better and do things different. So it, it makes for an interesting day, certainly for sort of the sales guys and the technical guys. So we, you know, we've generally seen most things before, but there's still stuff that that comes up that, that that's you know nice to see and and get involved with the with the challenge of solving a a technical process problem. Yeah, no, and I imagine that's very reassuring as well for for I suppose big pharma companies that are using your technology and they have a contract manufacturing partner that's also using your technology the kind of there's probably a certain amount of reassurance that comes with, with with that when making decisions as well and have you have you guys seen you know a lot of the guests that we've had on Chris have talked about um, the kind of growth of the contract manufacturing space and the kind of facility expansions that are happening in North America and in Europe and Asia at the minute are you know you know very very visible and I presume you guys are see are you're feeling the direct impact of the growth of the the CDMO space is that is that something you you're able to kind of give a perspective on? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, you know, I mentioned before we've got a real sort of wide mix of client base, and you know that that um, move in terms of our our revenue from where we were back in two thousand and six to where we are today. I mean, back back then, yeah, we were we were reliant on you know more so on the big pharma companies, but um, yeah, we're now sort of reliant on on a wide base. You know, in, including all of those sort of CDMOs as you mentioned, um, and you know, most of yeah, I'd probably say sixty percent of of what we're looking at in terms of inquiries and working with people is is, is probably in that space at this moment in time. No, that's incredible. It just shows you the shift in the market over the last ten fifteen years and where drugs are manufactured. And you mentioned COVID. I think COVID in particular has really shone a light publicly on where stuff is really made, <laughs> which uh, is a pop. It's a positive thing in, in a sense that I think it's it's brought interest in in the kind of outsourcing space and the supply chain that we we all work in every day, which is which has been positive, I would say. And 
Yeah, I think it's probably highlighted um, some vulnerability in, yeah, in that well, yeah. space in the yeah. early days, which has, has obviously then triggered, you know, different strategies and behaviours to to make sure that we learn from, you know, what, what we've gone wrong in the past. And um, yeah, it was a bit of a, you know, back at the start of COVID, I guess it was a bit of a scary time in terms of availability of, of certain things and, and stocks not being in the right place. So, you know, that that's obviously another factor that's sort of driven into sort of growth right across the sector. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. We are supported by ZymeWire, which is the leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from ZymeWire. And our friends at ZymeWire are giving Molecule to Market listeners an exclusive deal. Just head to zymewire.com forward slash Molecule to Market to learn more. Did it impact your business as well? Because presumably there are certain parts that come into your technology that you, you, you know, for example, you might get from the Far East or I know you make a lot of things and you manufacture lots of things yourself on site, but were you guys directly impacted from sock issues as well? Not, not then at that particular moment in time, but I think we are seeing um, a knock-on effect at, at, at the moment um, in relation to some of the plastics that, that we use in certain applications. So, you know, there's definitely been more demand um, which you know we're seeing longer lead times on on certain things. Um, we're managing our way through it, but there's, there's definitely been an effect. But I'd say that we in you know the first twelve months we, we didn't really see any of that. It's been sort of more recently, really, where I think you know demand is sort of outstripping supply at this moment in time. And there's been a few other world events linked to things like you know petroleum or, or chemical processing, plastics processing plants in Texas. So feedstock materials have had a bit of a hit so again you know a mix of a few things not necessarily directly related to covid but it's just given a little bit of a perfect storm on on you know a few items but you know we're managing our way through that situation at the moment and i think covid's maybe made us a bit more alert to to you know taking a bit more of a longer view on things yeah i, th- I think you're right and one thing you mentioned just before that chris was covid ha- is you know kind of um highlighting vulnerabilities i suppose beyond just your business. Do you do you truly believe that lessons will be learned in the sense of, you know, will we go back to the way things were, or do you think there'll be some fundamental changes in the way the particularly the pharmaceutical industry think about raw materials and equipment and technology, or do you think there's a chance that we'll fall <laughs> back into the the way things were? I think I think it's probably like a lot of things in life. My view is that there'll be fundamental changes now to to try and improve things and you know we'll we'll benefit from them because we're in the middle of it now i think the further away from it we move we'll probably forget so i'll give it te- give it 10 years you know and, and and you know there's lots of factors that drive into that that you know you can't you know stocks are low but st- stocks are low you know going into covid because you know obviously people are looking to keep costs down so you you sort of you, you pile in get all the stocks back in place and then you know over time when those products aren't you know required to the same degree then there's going to be a natural shift back so i think that we are changing the short to medium term 
And then I think, you know, look look out sort of five to ten years, I think you might see it sort of moving back to where it was again. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But it's great to get your kind of opinion on that. And thanks for sharing. And you mentioned before in your kind of introduction, uh, a company called Arcline, which is, I believe, your kind of uh, recently acquired uh, charge point. So it'd be great to hear more about the kind of acquisition of the business and what that means for you guys and, and, and the future uh, of the organization, especially at a time where we're seeing a huge amount of M&A in the market. Um, even anything you can share on the process you guys went through and why why Arcline, I'm sure there was, <laughs> given the growth of your business, I'm sure there, were, there wasn't a shortage of people that were interested in ChargePoint. So it'd be great to kind of go into the boardroom, so to speak, and find out what, what that process was like and, and what it means for ChargePoint. Yeah, so just to sort of put it into perspective, the, the reason for um, moving to Arcline or, or looking to go through another investment cycle was quite simply because with our last investor, LDC, I think we got to a point in the cycle where we wanted to take the business on to the next level, but that process sort of needed a different type of investment and that didn't fit with, with where LDC were in the journey. And um, we'd obviously done well over that period and you know it, it was the right time to to move on to the next level so um as a as a sort of a team in in the business as well we wanted to make sure that we took it to the next level but ensuring that everything that we've built up over over all the years we've been you know, working on charge point was maintained and indeed sort of added to um with 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 the journey going forward so we we did we went through quite an extensive process of um, you know preparing our own sort of internal information uh, diligence packs and you know basically pre-preparing everything to fully sort of present the business um, in in the right way and and sort of drag out all of the the necessary information and get it um, you know in a format that that people could understand so it was it was quite a significant process. Um, there was probably, I'm going to guess now, probably 35 interested parties at one point, maybe more. Um, and, and and basically, you know, it, it, it came down to, and that was both um, sort of equity investors and, and trade interested parties as well. Um, and it, it really boiled down to um, some quite simple um, sort of characteristics that we wanted. We wanted someone that we could trust, someone that, believed in you know the vision and the culture of our business so you know, at the end of the day we've built up a business we've got 100 people we're responsible for 100 families so we want to make sure that whatever we um, whatever path we took sorry with, with investment is, is going to add to that and, and and support you know the ambitions of the business going forward and, and the workforce um, and also someone that that you know was comfortable and uh, could buy into our aspirations, you know, in terms of some of the things we want to do to grow the business, whether it be new products or, you know, our own M&A um, activities. And Arcline, you know, were clearly a, a real good fit from from day one, um, you know, in terms of the interactions we had with them and, um, you know, their capability, their, their sort of prior experience. They're a relatively new investor and, and their approach was, I'd say, different. To, to what you traditionally see out in you know in in sort of the, the PE world and um, we like that it was fresh it is fresh and and, and different and and forward thinking and um, you know collaborative 
and, and energetic is probably probably a good word to sort of slot, slot in there to so yeah it's, it's been good uh, we've got a good relationship and um yeah so the arc line um had someone over this week for the first time since doing a transaction so we managed to do a whole transaction virtually wow so up until this week they, they there was no actual proof that there was a building <laughs> and a company called Chargepoint located in Liverpool. So, um, yeah, so that's incredible. It's amazing that, well, it just shows you how the world has changed. That I imagine prior to COVID, not many transactions of that size were are done virtually, if any. So, well, no, it sounds really exciting and, you know, it's it, 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 it really fascinating to hear the process and also that you had so many suitors, which isn't a surprise, but you know, 34, I think you said was, is an incredible number. And yeah, I'm sure that was fun sifting through those and deciding who were the front runners. But uh, yeah, it sounds like you're in good hands with the the team in, in Arcline. And, and I just wanted to, you know, last kind of five, 10 minutes, switch gear, gear slightly. We've obviously talked quite at length about the sector and the business. And I wanted to talk about, you know, you're a mechanical engineer by trade, and you know you've have led a business for for many many years and what you know if 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 there's a young mechanical engineer or a technical operator listening to the podcast what skills would you advise that they try to acquire or work on if they want to kind of move into a more commercial or business role because uh, i imagine you've been on that journey yourself so i'm curious to know what what kind of things or advice you would have for those type of people yeah i think it, it feels pretty um, simple and, and straightforward from my perspective. It, um, the first thing I'd say is to always respect the people you're working with. And from a sort of, from that point of view, never expect someone to do something that you're not prepared to do yourself. So in the early days when I was an engineer, I'd get involved with the people on the shop floor and try and understand what was preventing them from, you know, doing the best they could in their job and what was frustrating them. And understanding that really gave me the sort of background to be able to start helping to improve things and, um, you know, improve manufacturing output and, and, and profitability in, in certain areas. And I'm pretty open and the culture at charge points pretty open. So I think it's having confidence in, in your own abilities, but then also just being honest with people. Yeah, working with them, helping to support them. And I I wouldn't necessarily say I chose a path into management. I guess it just kind of happens because you sort of get involved in stuff. And, you know, when someone needs to stick their head above the parapet, hmm. I was one of those guys that was like, well, I'll give it a go. I might get my head <laughs> chopped off, but see what happens. And, you know, hmm. and I, don't get me wrong. You know, some of my journey was um, – you know, obviously, I've made sort of I created the circumstance, but a lot of it was right place, right time. Yeah, yeah. But you've also taken advantage of those opportunities, right? <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I was going to say that and that's the thing as well is you know, right place, right time. You got you know, I, I took the opportunity, and and it could have been different. You know, I I did get the opportunity back in the day to stay with Powder Systems or you know go alone with the with the Charge Point business, and I thought, do you know what? I've, put so much into charge point i understand that i understand the tech i need to take a chance no i think it's some fantastic advice there chris uh for for any kind of up and comer and some you know some basics that i think you know around leadership and just being open and giving things a go which i think are kind of timeless uh kind of pieces of advice and 
if you kind of could go back yourself, Chris, and give yourself some advice at 25, what, what would you say to Chris at 25? Oh, gosh, that's a difficult question, that is. <laughs> I'd probably... Um... I'd have probably taken more risks, to be honest with you. Yeah. Knowing what I know now, but um, you know, obviously it's difficult, isn't it, at the time when you sort of you've got a mortgage and you know you've got things that you sort of you worry about. And um, I think, I'd, yeah, I definitely have probably taken more risk um, from an investment point of view. I'd have probably been a bit um, more questioning of of things along the journey so you know there's been things along the journey where i've been sort of advised that you know we need to recruit certain type of people into the business this that and the other and relied on the investor to do part of that and i've sort of fallen down that route rather than go with my instinct and the cultural fit of the business and we've had to sort of take remedial action later on because it just didn't work out and to the point where it was affecting the business um so yeah i think go go with your go with your gut more and maybe you know yeah. with investors don't don't be afraid to stand your ground i suppose I think it's great advice. And actually, I mean, you mentioned the investment uh, kind of uh, kind of things that you would maybe do differently. Again, I was going to ask you about mistakes as well. Then, and then given the journey that you've been on within your business and the various rounds of investment that you guys have taken and the different investors, what uh, are there any kind of mistakes or real, maybe less so mistakes, but learnings that you've picked up along the way that uh, that you've always or that you started to work on that you, you used to do one thing and now you're aware of it and you do something differently because I think people would certainly benefit from your from your experience yeah I think the one, the one thing sort of looking back um, is is you know in terms of sort of systems and stuff that we've brought into the organization we, we did what was right at the time and what we could afford um, and it's maybe sort of driven us down a certain way whereas if you know if you do it again you probably try and invest in it in a, in a higher capability system and, and get things set correctly from the start because through the journey of a business you end up with all that data being in a form that you set out on day one mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and when you get to sort of transactions and, and 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 you know pulling all the data and then trying to manage the business for the future it can be quite painful trying to pull all that out and it can take quite a lot of time so we're actually going through a process of sort of realigning all of our systems in the business at the moment um and, and improving all of it so i think data and and information certainly on on the journey i've been through sort of the, the private equity journey is is powerful and it's important to sort of have we, we've got clean data but it's the way we set up at the start made it more onerous to to actually get it into to the right form and for an, for an analytical point of view no that's great advice that and it, you know is a business owner myself I, I completely sympathize with that because the last thing you like spending your money on is systems for things that are going to be useful in five years time and not <laughs> not tomorrow and it's kind of like you could spend that person on more more people or more equipment or you know the other stuff which has a direct impact on the revenue which is not always a, an easy decision to to make and and Chris how would your best friend describe you in in three words um serious loyal um and a good guy yeah are you that serious i i i, I always have I, I have got a serious side yeah I'm, i mean i'm not overly serious but yeah i am i am quite um people maybe don't see it it's just um you know i like things to be right and in my mind I'm, you know you're constantly sort of ordering things to get things just right and I, yeah i'm just a bit of a perfectionist i suppose and that <laughs> 
I mean, I, I say that having met you quite a few times over the years, and I've never that wasn't a word I would associate with you, but but then maybe you're always um, less a bit more informal with me. I'm not sure, but uh, maybe I didn't get you on your bad side. <laughs> must be your must must be your star, man. It must, must uh, bring out the non-serious side. I bring out the lighter version of Chris, which is which is good and. So last couple of minutes, and we've already um, touched on obviously the growth of your business in terms of some bigger market factors. Uh, you know, obviously uh, sterols, you know, more uh, oncology drugs coming through the market that you know will be driving you know, demand for potents and, and that type of thing. Are there any other kind of trends or shifts or things that that you're seeing going on? I expect to see in the next year or two. I know a lot of our listeners are in kind of planning mode for the year ahead in 2022. Obviously. Post pandemic, God knows what that's going to look like. But you know, any any kind of uh, final words of wisdom or things that you think will, will happen in in the next kind of couple of years or so? Yeah, I think we're, we're definitely seeing a bit more of a shift into the ADC space. It's quite quite popular um, at the moment. Single use is an area um, that we've moved into um, with our hybrid technology. So, you know, we've we've got a solution that gives you the performance but also has that disposable element of it um so that that's you know an area where we're definitely seeing um significant movement going forward but we've also got one eye on the fact that you know in the industry plastics for single use are great they reduce costs in certain areas and they facilitate you know all of the the things that we're trying to do you know in terms of creating healthcare products but that's creating a a problem for the future so um you know I, I see a move in the sort of the medium to long term to, to get a solution to avoid all of this single use well not avoid it all but to manage it in the right way to make sure that you know what we're doing is sustainable i think that's going to be a, a key theme um moving forward and sort of linked to that is uh, from a sort of a, a business and investment point of view there's there's big drivers and um shifts to to measures and also valuations on businesses in terms of how well they perform from an environmental social and governance perspective so you know there's a there's a couple of um big big organizations that over recent weeks have taken hit to uh, their share price for you know things like the amount of fuel that, that they're sort of using and generating waste from so i can see Certainly, from a, a company valuation point of view, I think that's that's one that's uh, definitely on the radar for the future. Uh, I think that's a really interesting kind of learning, and you know, it's funny. You know, we're we're, we're going to launch a series at Molecule to Market, and and one of the topics is sustainability because it's kind of working its way up the agenda in in you know in businesses and governments and stuff at the minute, and it's almost at the top of the agenda now. So I think it's a really uh, useful insight, not in terms of, not only in terms of, right, we need to move away from plastics and, and that type of thing, but also the valuation impact for some companies if if they don't get it right, which I think is uh, really fascinating. Uh, yeah, it's an area we've been focused on and it's an area that sort of Arcline are, are really keen on and, and, and certainly from what they're seeing in the market, it, people are already talking about linking it to, to, to valuations. So it's it's coming. No, no, it's good. That's uh, it's good to know, and it's it's kind of a nice um, nice way to end the conversation. And uh, Chris, honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. I know we've we've tried for about six months to make this happen, so I'm I'm delighted we've managed to get you on 
molecule to market. I'm I'm hoping our listeners get great value from the insights that you've provided in your you know fantastic journey at ChargePoint. And yeah, and yeah, thanks thanks again, and you know all the best with with the future of the business and your kind of recent uh, kind of investment partner. I imagine it's going to be more success in along the way for your for your team thanks Ron. it's a it's a pleasure and yeah likewise uh, we got there in the end it did take six months but we finally did it <laughs> thanks chris great take care hi again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to market pod.com and follow us on linkedin or twitter and we will see you again next week listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.